Welcome to the Fear Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB. Advocacy EFB means excellent for business. It's Free Dress Friday at St. Peter's School, so I went with the theme, and it's Free Dress at EFB. Advocacy. It's actually not. It's yeah, not no, Free it's Dress not, but Friday. Anyway, go ahead. But. So that I have my wife's Villanova colors on, V for victory. And are you wearing jack shorts? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> jack shorts, you. <laughs> um, so I'm joined by my all-star cast. Uh, we have Adam Belmar, the B, John Easton, the E. I'm your host, John Fury, the F at EFB. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Brett Kavanaugh live just got through the first round of uh, the confirmation vote. Very excited about that in Washington, D.C. That gets us to many of our theories for today. Uh, so let's get to the theories. Theory one, methinks you doth protest too much. From the start of this Trump administration, we have had nothing but protest. The day of the inauguration for President Trump, we had thousands of protesters really keeping people out of the inauguration. The day after, we had the famous Women's March, where women with all kinds of regalia we won't get into what they were wearing, but it was a little bit provocative. Um, Madonna at that protest threatened to blow up the White House. That was the level of discourse that that wonderful uh, protest march, uh, which really was somewhere across the world people were protesting Donald Trump. I guess they're not protest- protesting now, but we'll get to the hot economy. Uh, throughout the, the, the two years of the Trump administration, we've had weird protests, small protests where people have gone into restaurants, and driven out administration officials like Kirsten Nielsen, uh, Sarah Sanders, Stephen Miller. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz got hounded out of a local restaurant by protesters. Of course, during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, before all this sexual allegations came up, uh, there were protests from Brett Kavanaugh just for people didn't like him at all and didn't like the fact that Donald Trump had the ability to appoint another Supreme Court nomination. Uh, Adam Belmar, looking at all these protesters, and they they are all over the place. They are haranguing people all over the place. Uh, And it's not like a nice protest. They're like (laughs) screaming at the top of their lungs. Is there a nice protest? I I know you can have nice protests. You can have (laughs) silent protests. You can have big protests. These are nasty protests. Um, Who's funding these protesters, and is it effective? Well, I'll take the second part first. Uh, I think it's been very effective. Um, I think that it has been a rallying cry for people around the United States, women uh, particularly of all ages. The thing that's important and, and that I see in all this, John Fury, is that what they are protesting is way beyond the nomination of one man to the Supreme Court, that they are thinking about, talking about a patriarchal society that they think shouldn't exist anymore. They're talking about a movement in Me Too and a seriousness of sexual harassment and um, violence that has pervaded our culture for a long time, and those things have crystallized here. So it's been effective, in my opinion, and I don't mean to put any of that down. Now, in terms of who's paying for it, I I just don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that the majority of the people that we see out there are being paid for. Having said that, you'd be naive in Washington, D.C., in the area of political theater to think that theater, which requires actors, are unpaid. There are many people who are... uh, well-funded to be out there to rally, to to be warm bodies, to be loud voices, and so um, 
there's a lot going on here, as you said. So, uh, John Easton, Chuck Grassley at a press conference yesterday said, you know, the media is only covering the anti-Kavanaugh protesters, but there's plenty of pro-Kavanaugh protesters, too, especially in his office. There are sit-ins in his office, and we know people who work in the Grassley operation, and they literally these protesters are sitting in their front office ordering pizza, Leaving pizza boxes all over the place. I mean, that's it's unbelievable. These people are so rude. Uh, but anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on the protest movement? Well, I don't know if I've, I've seen too many polite pro- protesters of late, but uh, I'd love to find them somewhere. I think that, that they have their place in our democracy for sure. It's a sacred right. It is a, it is a sacred value of, of our society. And they're exercising it. I think what happens, though, is is when it goes too far, I think that to your original question, is it effective, I think it becomes actually counterproductive for the cause. So, I mean, I think sometimes you've you got to be a little creative with your, with your protests. I think you have to be a little bit, um, you know, think outside of the box, not just get in people's faces and try to deny them something and make your statement. I think I watched a um, – this morning I watched a, an encounter between – Senator Cassidy and a protester down, of course, in the hallway of one of the Senate office buildings in, in the basement. He, the guy's, I think, probably trying to get to a vote or go get some coffee or something. And and it, and and he tried to have a conversation with the protester, and that that just wasn't going to happen. No. I mean, what you want to do is you, he's a rapist. You're putting a rapist on the Supreme Court. This, that, and he said, okay, hold on a second, and he, and he tried to rationally have a conversation, which you would think is kind of democracy at work right there. But it was a one-way conversation, and of course, it was filmed which was also the desired effect of this, of this of course, encounter. Of course it was. So you throw it up on, on YouTube and get it across the Internet. Maybe it goes viral, and you're a, you're, you know, you're a star protester. I think there's a lot of that as well, and I think Americans are very smart because what percentage of Americans are not protesting? Probably 99.5%. And they're watching, and they're very intuitive, and they're very smart about what is right and what is not right when it comes to you know, getting in people's faces. So, Adam, I'm intrigued what you th- – you- kind of believe that these protests not only are they um fully justified but they've been effective yeah and you know i think for people who watch and listen to the fury theory podcast we're right here in washington dc just steps from the united states capitol this isn't just something that we're seeing on tv it's something that we're seeing right here in our front yard every day um and the police uh, are everywhere because of it and i say that it's effective john because in the end, the thing that brought the most people to bear on this nomination was the challenge to a woman's right to choose, to Roe v. Wade as a settled law and precedent of the, of the land. And that is the thing that people from a, uh, a rights perspective should be vocal about, that your vote matters. And for Democrats and liberals to once again be confronted with the fact that they lost the presidency, they had a failed candidate in Hillary Clinton, and that Donald Trump is exercising his right to nominate, and the and the, uh, the, the the Senate is, is giving its best effort at advising consent. All of these things boil down to one vote, and it all matters, and this is how it bears out. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that the, the way to get people motivated is is not by getting in their face. For example, uh, there was a staffer who worked for Sheila Jackson Lee, an intern, who uh, revealed the dr- addresses. Uh, of, What's the word? What are they called? Do- called do- doxing. 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 They, they revealed all the personal details of several senators this guy did, obviously trying to get 
these protesters to go into people's homes uh, and protest there. And what happened this morning, uh, which is kind of funny, but also not funny, uh, a bunch of people went to Mitch McConnell's house and were drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> so this has kind of turned from sexual stuff to now beer drinking. I hope it was cold. Yeah, nothing is worse than warm, warm PBR. PBR. <laughs> but cold PBR is actually pretty darn good. Um, you know, this kind of protest is they're making the – it's not about philosophy. It's not even about politics. It's about personality and personal. And it's really kind of an element of personal destruction, which is the worst part, John Easton, of this confirmation process. Yeah, it is, and and of course, I think this took the uh, the direction of where the Democrats and the left wanted it to go, which was uh, way off of the the record of twelve years of sitting on the D.C. Circuit Court, uh, the prob- arguably the second highest court in the land, and and I just I just was looking at this exchange with Senator Cruz and uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Actually, it was more of just Senator Cruz saying that. In the 12 years on the D.C. Circuit Court where he served with Merrick Garland, now Merrick Garland, Judge Garland, is like the second coming for the Democrats. They right. think he, you know, alone could have served on the Supreme Court and, and, and served this country. But um, uh, where they voted together 90, 93% of the time, of the 28 opinions that Brett Kavanaugh authored, where Merrick Garland was on the panel, uh, Judge Garland, um, uh, he supported Judge Garland, or Judge Garland supported Kavanaugh 27 times out of 28, so 96% of the time. Conversely, um, uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh supported Judge Garland 28 out of 30 times. Now, this is, you know, these two are just leaders of their of of their profession, Um, and 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 obviously these two are just where you want them to be. Obviously, they're way in the mainstream. So if you're looking for a judicial philosophy, a judicial, judicial temperament that's right there in the, in the mainstream, it, that is it. Yet the, the Democrats and the left act as if this is the, the probably the biggest the, the, extremist. The, the Antichrist. The, the, or, the, or the, just the opposite a, of the Antichrist. A right-wing <laughs> extremist. Right. But, the only thing you need to know about what's different between Merrick Garland and uh, Kavanaugh was out on Facebook earlier this week when people published Ka- uh, Garland's senior year high school yearbook page. Very benign. You're going to love yeah, it. Yeah, I will say that. And uh, my mother is in the audience today, which is great. Um, I'd love to have Grandma here. Um, but she saw my senior photo in my in, in my yearbook, and it it was the worst senior photo taken by anybody of all time. Can I, was, I put that up? Are people looking at it right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm looking at it. Okay. So I, I, this, is, this is kind of a prep school. You went to a prep school. You went to like a fancy boarding school. I went to just a public high school. We didn't have family. We couldn't, you know, have these fancy. Was it a portrait? Uh, well, we had our own portrait, right. We had nothing. We had no, we, we didn't put in our little, we didn't have a whole page devoted to ourselves that we can put secret, you know, talk about devil's triangle or anything like that. We just had a picture of me. drinking game? I apparently was dreaming. I don't know what it is. Um, but we go far. The thing about Brett Kavanaugh is he's actually a pretty moderate justice. He'll be a pretty moderate judge. I think the right was never all that fired up about Brett Kavanaugh because they thought he probably wasn't going to overturn Roe v. Wade. But to getting to the topic at hand, these protesters have made this Brett Kavanaugh seem like he's the most conservative jurist of all time, which has fired up the right wing. 
and they are going to come out and vote. So this is why I get to the whole protest thing. I think this protest has been extraordinarily counterproductive to the left. I think it's been a mistake. I think they could have done this in a much more dignified way. And I think the people who fund these protesters have to get their heads examined because they're destroying our democracy, and I think they're nuts. And so that we were going to go to theory number two, the bipolar Congress. The Senate has, uh, we're talking about this partisan snake pit that is what's been going on with the, the uh, Justice uh, Kavanaugh confirmation process. On the other hand, we have had an unbelievably productive Congress from uh, getting uh, the spending bills done, the biggest increase in defense spending since uh, Ronald Reagan, huge increases for NIH funding, which people want for medical research, hugely important to anyone who was worried about cancer or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Um, we've had uh, big bipartisan victories on reforming small business lending and reforming Dodd-Frank. Uh, John Easton, what is it up with this bipartisan Congress, <laughs> bipolar Congress, where on one hand it can't get its act together on having a dignified confirmation process. On the other hand, they're getting a bunch of stuff done. Explain this to me. Well, I, I do think that uh, uh, here's an example uh, of, of, of what you're saying, and, and, and you have this opioids package that, that you talked about, and I think that was really, really solid leadership on, on the part of the committee chairman on, on both in the House and the Senate, and, and it was in, in part, it was due to keeping off of the legislation some of the radioactive writers and, and policy, deep policy differences where it didn't belong on the package. And a lot of times what happens is that's the kind of thing that sinks a really important package from moving forward. But I think that I'll give you an example of a big example of that, the spending bills that you that you talked about, the appropriations bills. Uh I got to give huge credit to to three people in in particular. And I'm going to start with the president. Why is because after he signed <laughs> that large omnibus, the uh, big big catch-all spending bill last year, he said, actually it was early this year because it was uh, delayed. He said, "I'm I'm not doing this again." And you know what? Everybody believed him because this guy doesn't shy away from shutting down the government. Right, right, right. And so um, you know he. We've called his bluff, and he's actually acted and, and, and helped shut it down. And, and so he said, I'm not doing this again. So pass your spending bills. And, and I think uh, Chairman Shelby, Senate Appropriations Chairman, and Ranking Member Leahy, they just did a good job of, again, keeping off those things that would have completely derailed the spending bills, particularly labor the labor HHS education spending bill, which is always the snake pit of spending bills. You just can never get that thing passed. There's too many controversial things about it, right? First time in 20 years that that's been signed into law on time. The defense bill, the defense spending bill, first time in 10 years that that has been signed on time. So it was in part the president's leadership saying, I'm not going to spend this huge, ridiculous bill at the end of the year. I'm not doing it. It was smart on his part. And then to the chairman. And then, of course, in the House of Representatives, those guys said, you know what? In order for us to keep this momentum going of passing legislation and getting it to the president, getting it signed and getting it off the table so it's not a, an election negative, we're going we're gonna to work with the Senate on this. It, it, was, it was actually – it's been a very productive fall you know, to, your, to your point. And just go, it goes to show that they can do it. Now, is the press paying attention to that? No, they, they, they love all this uh, Supreme Court stuff with all the drama and the emotion and the, and the protests. So uh, Adam Belmar, schizophrenic? 
Is that I, I said bipolar because it meant it kind of rhymes with bipartisan. But what's the proper medical term? Is it schizophrenic? Because in many ways you have two distinct personalities, and the press, to John's point, only covers the most dysfunctional part of this uh, of this equation. Yeah, I think that may have been uh, more appropriate to say that they have uh, multiple personalities, so schizophrenia. But um, I, I, I first of all, I agree with the theory that they have uh, had excellent accomplishments. Um, I also agree with John Easton's position that due credit to the President of the United States for laying down a prerogative of what he will and will not accept and forcing folks to move into more regular order and in doing so to push away some of the partisan devices, the poison pill amendments that Mm -hmm. so often have plagued the labor HHS bill when that is so incredibly important. Ultimately, though, uh, when you say that the, the media doesn't focus on this, I agree, the mainstream media doesn't. It doesn't make headlines. It's not something that the average folks uh, who are just reading topically will see. But members of Congress are taking credit at home as they should in their elections. Mm-hmm. The specialty press is making good note here in Washington for people who are policy-oriented of where success has been found, which leads us to believe that 2019 and the 116th Congress, depending on the outcome of the election, could be a time where we begin to see Donald Trump come into his own as a dealmaker and somebody who could find a way, even through more adverse terms in Congress, capable of getting things done. And I see that as a positive. Yeah, and I will say that the trade agreement that was was brokered with Mexico and Canada did get some pretty good play in, in, sure, in the media. Yeah. And, and it and well-deserved. I mean, it was, a, it was a, an accomplishment. So, John Easton, do you think this these examples of governing are going to be more important to the voters than all the nonsense in Washington? You know, from what that, that media is covering. Well, I, I do think that I don't think it's as much they're schizophrenic on on in terms of one day they're doing one thing and another day they're they're doing the next. I do think that there are a lot of good members doing a lot of good things, but a Supreme Court nomination, let's face it, it brings out the crazy, the crazy, the the, the energy, uh, both you know inside the, the the United States Senate, but also of course outside with the interest groups. So once this this passes and. I think it's going to pass. I think that we're actually going to go to a day where we're not talking about Brett Kavanaugh and, and, and so. Dr. Ford and, and all the rest. Yeah, let's hope so. But, um, you know, and, and a Supreme Court, particularly on the right, a Supreme Court nomination really, really injects energy. It is a major priority on the right and, and more so on the right than the left. And we'll see if that changes. But um, I think the only way for the Senate in particular, because they're the ones involved with the Supreme Court nomination to, re- to repair itself after this ridiculous couple of weeks is um, by just doing more of the same. We're going to get a reprieve of, of, of bills you know, between now and the end of the year because of the election. But that's the only thing that's going to get the, them out of the rut that they're in now. So your, your point is to, to heal the breach, is just get back, back to work and get stuff done. Yeah, and take more trips overseas together. That always works. Theory three, let the good times roll. The statistics are stunning. Unemployment down to its lowest rate, 3.7% since 1969. Wages are surging. We're going to have growth, Adam Bellmar, of 4.2%. Do you think the voters are going to take advantage of this 
and say, you know what, we want, we want to keep the good times rolling and we're going to keep the Republicans in control of the Congress? Or do you think they're going to put Nancy Pelosi in charge and threaten economic I think, growth? I think John Fury uh, and John Easton and you, the Fury Theory listener, that that is a false choice. What? I don't think that that you can. I think, moreover, I think you can you can uh, you can accept the fact that the economy is going, that the, that things are moving in the right direction, and the Democrats can still uh, win. Um, and and I'm I'm quite worried about that, even with the things that we've been talking about. We've had some major positive gains in the way our economy is going, the outlook, all the things you're pointing to from unemployment to uh, you know interest rates moving up, which is a sign of a healthy economy. Um, ultimately, though, I think it can exist in a space where it is not enough and hasn't been well enough explained as a result of the tax cuts to make the case for Republicans in November. John Easton, um, do you agree with Adam Belmar, or do you think that a vote – for Nancy Pelosi for speaker means the end of our economic good times. <laughs> well, as we've talked about on this podcast, <laughs> I do believe that. <laughs> as we've talked about on this podcast, people tend to vote locally. They don't tend to vote for whether or not I want to. I'm, I'm voting to make the Congress Democrat. Uh, but I, I, I think that based on this perfect storm that's, that's occurring on the, on the, on the House side of the equation, which is all the retirements, you know, in Pennsylvania, you have that Supreme Court ruling that redistricted um, is a real problem for for Republicans. I think that, and I think there's a there may be a desire to have some sort of check on the president. I mean, let's face it, the you know one party rule of, of both branches is is typically doesn't last very long, and it usually goes away in the midterm. And I'm not yet seeing that that is going to – we're going to see an exception this year. I think the House is probably going to go uh, to your friend Nancy Pelosi. Um, and then we're going to see investigations galore, <laughs> and then we're going to have lots of drama in Washington, D.C. But I, I just remember what happened in 2006 when the Democrats swept in and took control of both the House and the Senate. And Nancy Pelosi, in all her great charm, um, did all she could to – put more regulations on the economy, increased the minimum wage, did all kinds of investigations. And if you look at the chart from what happened from 2007 when she took over to 2010 when she departed, the economy went straight down the tubes. Straight, Everything went straight down this way. Was there a connection? Yeah, there was a connection. I think you're right. There was a connection. I just don't know that it's been established incredibly well for uh, all of the voters out there. And again, I'm not sure that folks who are so invested in telling the story of the benefits of the Trump tax I cut know, have done I a know. very good job. Well, they, have not done, they have not done a good job, no. and they don't tell no. that story at all. I don't know what the hell they're doing over there. they got to tell the story about what will happen, what the stakes are if she gets control of the Congress, and they're not doing it. It's frustrating. Well, and let's not forget that these, these suburbs, you know, uh, where, where we're, there are lots of independent women, independent voters as well as very moderate Republican voters. This is not a great uh, dynamic that's, that's been occurring over the last few weeks. All right, so we're going we're gonna to predict every week what you think is going to happen in the House and the Senate. Um, John Easton, what do you think is going to happen in the House? Do you, think, you still think the House is gone? I'm not seeing anything to uh, persuade me otherwise at this point. Adam Belmar, are you still with the House gone? Yes. 
The House, the Republicans are going to keep control of the House by about eight seats. It's going to be really close. That's such a bold prediction, and I, I love that you're sticking with it. I, I'm sticking with it. I think the Republicans are going to lose ten seats, but none, no more than that. How many? So that's why I'm in. And they're going to gain very force. courageous. They're going to vote. vote. <laughs> I, I'm all about courage. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the 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 Senate Republicans are going to gain three seats. That's where I am. Oh, yeah. The Senate, I I do believe strongly, is going to stay uh, Republican. I'm with uh, Eastern on stay Republican. I don't know about the three seats. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take a point of personal privilege. Every morning, I'd get up in the morning. I'd brush my teeth. I'd take a shower listening to Tommy McFly's 94.7. And the Tommy show... It's a great show. You had Kelly Collis. You got all kinds of different things going on. Great conversation. Some music. Fantastic stuff. And I like Tommy. Do you, you like you know Tommy? We all know Tommy, and Tommy. we all like Tommy. He's a good Tommy guy. Flies great. So what happened in ninety four point seven is they got bought out by some corporate conglomerate. Do you know what's name? Entercom. Entercom. And Tommy McFly was on yesterday, and today he's off. And it's outrageous. Without any, I didn't get any notice of this. And people in in Washington D.C. are very and neither angry. Did he. And neither did he. And uh, you know, Tommy was uh, somebody who I woke up in the morning listening to, and it was a really enjoyable morning because of it. And now he's gone, and then we're listening to some crappy 1980s Madonna, Cindy hey. Lauper hey. retread. You know. And I will say that if this is where radio is going, I'm not listening to 94.7 anymore. They're they're done for me. I'm going to go to all news radio, and I'm going to miss Tommy McFly. But that's my point of personal privilege. Tommy, I'm with you. I'm against 94.7. And anytime you want to come on the podcast and talk about this, we'd love to have you on. You and Kelly and Nicole Richard, the whole group, love to have you on the podcast. We've talked about it before. Uh, you're a huge Nats fan. I know that. And we'd love to have you on talk about baseball. Do whatever you want, but you're a great guy. Uh, Johnny, so what are you buying or selling today? So I think I've mentioned I'm, – I'm, I'm doing both. So, okay. no. I, uh, no, I'm, I mentioned my wife, Michelle, her side of the family is, is – they're all from Louisiana, south Louisiana. So this weekend um, at the Superdome, there will be a particular match, the Washington Redskins versus the New Orleans Saints. Ooh. So um, it's all about Drew Brees, Cool Breeze, and um, um, against uh, our Redskins. And I'm 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 buying the Redskins. I'm buying the Red- last last time they were down there, I believe we were up and then lost by a last and second Brees field goal. A really good season. By yeah, the way. he's about to break he another is. huge. Record. He's like he's like sixty years old, isn't he? No. <laughs> He's not quite Tom Brady old yet. <laughs> but the Redskins are going to have to contain him and Alvin Kamara, and uh, it's going to be uh, a Monday night game, isn't so, it? Is it? So you're buying you're buying the skins. I'm buying the Redskins. What are you selling? Uh, the Saints. Say so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, what gonna, are you buying or selling? I'm going to get serious for a second. I am buying friendship, and let me tell you the kind of friendship that I'm putting on the buy list. I admire the kind of friendship that was exhibited by someone who I greatly admire, someone I worked with for a short period. His name is Joel Kaplan. He is a former United States Marine artillery officer, an undergraduate 
from Harvard University, a law school graduate from Harvard University. He served as Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy in the George W. Bush White House and was very kind to me and someone I greatly admired. Well, he is best friends with a fellow you may have heard of by the name of Brett Kavanaugh. Their wives are best friends. They were in each other's weddings. And these days, Kaplan is the global head of policy for Facebook. And Facebook people went crazy that he sat in that hearing supporting his best friend, not as a statement against Me Too, not as a statement of anything other than standing by a friend who was in trouble, who was being besieged, whose family was facing death threats. And I respect that, and I think it's wonderful that we can stand with our friends when they need us most. And I reject people who would tell you that upon an allegation or in the hardest times that you should walk away from the people that you believe in and that you love and that who you call friends. So I buy friendship and costing you to do the same. And I would also sell Facebook. And if I could quit Facebook, I would, but I'm too addicted to it. Do it. <laughs> By the way, you can see this podcast on Facebook. <laughs> you can watch that complaint against Facebook on Facebook, which is hopefully they, hopefully they won't block us. Um, I'm going to buy a couple of things. First, I'm going to buy Grandma Visits. So lovely when grandma comes into town here watching the podcast. She, we wa- wanted to get her on, and as she pointed out, it would be great if we had a female guest, and we were just like, hey, grandma, you can, you can come on and do the show. And she said, uh, no. Uh, but grandma <laughs> visits are always great. She's going to meet Clark Kent, the Wonder Dog. I kind of wish that he was here today, but uh, he's not, um, and see the grandkids. And so grandma's visits are always fantastic. I'm also going to buy uh, Dexter Williams and Ian Book of the Fighting Irish. I went to the Stanford game last week uh, with my son, and they overly performed. I think the Irish are going to beat Virginia Tech this week, and if they do that, I think they have a pretty clear path to getting into the playoffs. And uh, those two guys are tremendous football players. Uh, Go Irish. And I want to thank Grandma for being here. I want to thank John Easton and Adam Belmar uh, for being here. I want to thank you all for listening to the Fury Theory podcast. the Fury Theory is brought to you by EFB, which stands for Excellent for Business. And are we saying yeah, baby? Every time. Every yeah, time. baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs>